Praise the Lord. Amen. Give the Lord praise this morning. Amen. God is good. Hallelujah. Amen. You can go ahead and take your seats. And you may have heard uh, some rumors going around about, uh, about our candy bin in the back that has uh, some questionable uh, statements on, on the front of it. So my advice to you would be to read the fine print. You know, it's always important to read the fine print because if you read the fine print, you'll notice that it says, do you want to go to heaven? And ask that question. And then the fine print says, repent. Then it says, put your candy in here. All right? <laughs> Amen. We want saved candy, so repent first. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse, I'll begin reading in verse 38. I'm going to read a couple of verses here from 38 to verse 42, if you don't mind. Now I'm reading from the Old New International Version of the Bible, so it may have a different reading than some of you with the new techno uh, phone app version. But this is what it says. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign. But none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray. Father God, I, I ask this morning for discernment that you would give us the ability to recognize truth, to see you at the moment of your visitation, when your presence is here with us to recognize and to stand in awe and adoration of who you are and what you desire to do in our lives. I pray for the discerning ability to recognize truth where it can be found, Lord, and, and to live out that truth in our lives. So we thank you and I pray that you would bless this word. Help us to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, and God's people say, amen. 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 Well, this month, we've been talking about growth in the area of discernment. And, and if you were uh, here last Sunday, it was like a, a wonderful, powerful transition from growth in knowledge to discernment. And then Friday night, Pastor Danny preached a powerful message. You know, and he takes me back. We, we were in Bible college together, Bible school and seminary together, actually in seminary together. And, and he, he takes me back with those, you know, the terms that he brings up these terms and ideas and theological claims and things. I was like, wow, Pastor Danny remembers that? <laughs> <laughs> I 
some good stuff, man. So we, we've had some great messages, not just, you know, all, all since, man, for, for a while now, the messages have been just powerful. They've spoken to me in a powerful way. But we're talking now about discernment, the area of discernment. Discernment is the ability to make good choices. In its basic form, that's what it's about, making good choices. Everybody has the capacity to discern things. All of us do. But unfortunately, we don't always use good discernment, discretion in our decision making. Discernment is a whole lot like the use of our senses. And we have senses to be able to perceive what's happening around us. It's just like using those senses. We draw conclusions based on what we see or, or hear or, or feel. We draw conclusions as to what it means, the things that we, that we uh, you know, perceive around us. But the Bible takes discernment to a whole other level. When you look at what scripture has to say about it, it takes us, takes us somewhere totally different where discernment becomes a spiritual ability. Not that we begin to see demons floating around or read people's minds. Now, you might hear voices and see demons and things, and you can show up tonight at our class and we can talk to you about that. But discernment is simply the ability to recognize what is true, to recognize what is true, whatever you see or hear, to recognize what truth is in the things you experience? There's a passage I, I love in Psalm 119, verse 66. David says, teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Now here in this passage, in Psalms 119:66, the Hebrew word for judgment is the word taste. Taste. You know, teach me to taste what is good. It's an action. Teach me to taste it, to recognize or perceive good by its flavor. To, to walk into a circumstance and, and to be able to know what is good because it has a certain flavor to it. I know this. I, I recognize this. I, I understand this, this condition, this state, this place that I'm in right now because I've recognized what it tastes like, what good tastes like. For the believer, this is what God enhances. This is what he enhances in you and, and in me. Your ability to taste truth, to taste it, to know the difference, to distinguish it from something that is not true. To develop a sensitivity, to discern what's right from what's wrong, from what we ought to do and the things that we should not do. You know, I was thinking about this just the other day when, uh, you know, Debbie, she surprises me sometimes with her knowledge of food and flavors. Now, she'll cook, and she's been cooking, and she loves to cook. She watches those channels. I just, I just asked her, can you cook some of that for me sometime, you know, please? <laughs> but, but when we're eating something, whatever it is, she can tell exactly what's in a dish. She'll know, she'll know what's in it. She, she knows what the ingredients are. And, and we'll be eating, and, and she'll, she'll say like, oh, oh, can you taste the cumin? And, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, there it is, you know. There, yeah. I don't even know what cumin is, you know. But she'll recognize it. 
and she'll, she'll, she can pick it out in, in a dish. And I suppose that after years of cooking and, and it does that for you. You recognize the thing, it fine tunes the palate and enhances someone's ability to discern what's in the dish. You can tell what's in the dish because you've been there before and, and you've somehow enhanced your ability to pick out and distinguish what's happening here in this dish. Well, God wants you to be able to say, hey, what's in this conversation? Or what's in this relationship? Or what's in this building? What's, what's going on in this household, this organization, in my neighborhood, in my marriage, with my kids and my family? What's that I taste here? There's something going on, I can't put my finger on it, but when you, when you come to know truth and you come to know what is right and what is good and what is holy from what is unholy, you begin to taste something that is very distinct. You develop a taste for truth. God wants to develop that in us. Discernment is the ability to see or to apprehend what may not be obvious. It may not be obvious. He wants us to develop that taste for truth, the ability to judge well. It's perception, to be able to see and to perceive, to understand what it is we've walked into. What does this mean? What's going on here? It's not a supernatural talent of, of knowing something that you were never aware of to begin with. I believe that God fine-tunes what's already there. He fine-tunes our perception and ability to identify, to classify what it is you're looking at, what it is you've walked into, what's going on around you. For the believer, discernment is a God-given ability. It's illumination. God illuminates the mind. He illuminates us and enables us to make good judgments about what's taking place around us. But just as your discernment can be enhanced, it can also be diminished. You can also begin to lose the ability to recognize the presence of God. You can also grow callous to the move of the Spirit. I remember one preacher describing it one time as, as the Spirit of God moving. It's like when you see the wind blowing across you know, grass uh, in a field and all of the, the grass is moving with the wind. And then you have one just stand rigid, unmovable, where the Spirit has no effect Upon that, upon that one blade of grass. Every, all the other you know, blades of grass are moving with the, with the Spirit, but some lose the sense that the Spirit is moving. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't force us. He simply suggests to us. And if we're willing, we can walk with Him. Here in Matthew chapter 12, this is probably the best place to describe the loss of discernment. The loss of discernment. Jesus had just healed a man who was possessed by a demon. That must have been a powerful sight, a, 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 an amazing sight, a powerful display of his authority and his divinity. How much more proof do you need than that? A man who was possessed by a demon. Whatever demons do in the life of a person, Whatever they do, whatever the outcome of, of having been possessed for a day or a week or a year, what does it look like? What happens to his family? What happens to his life? What happens to his physical body, his face and his clothes to have been possessed by a demon? Whatever that is, whatever that means, 
Here was a man that people understood. They brought the man to Jesus. His enemies, the Pharisees, brought, what can you do for this guy? And he heals the guy right there in front of their faces. Heals him. And not only does he heal this man, powerful display, this was one of those rare moments where Jesus begins to teach them about spiritual power, how it works, what it's like. And after such an incredible healing, and after such an incredible uh, uh, you know, teaching, words of insight, verse 38 says that some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said, teacher, well, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Now, if you have the Inglewood version, the next thing that is written there is, are you kidding? Are you kidding? After what he just did? And after he gave a description of what it is he did, that he is able to confront the strong man and to take the possessions out of the strong man's house? You want to see a miraculous sign? Are you kidding? In other words, what they're saying is show us something we can believe. Convince us that you're the son of God, as if they had completely rejected everything he said and did up to that point. This is fascinating to me. And I love what Jesus does next. He says, no. You know, show us a miracle. No. But as gracious as he is, he goes on and he says in verse 39, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except. See, that's grace. He could have left it at, well, I'm not going to give you a sign, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Not only does he give the sign of the prophet Jonah, he gives him another example. Now, wicked, uh, the, Nineveh was, was wicked. They, they were a, a wicked nation. If you know about Nineveh, that's the place where Jonah went, a, a wicked place. They were responsible for destroying the northern kingdom of Israel. They were wicked people. They were, they were ruthless in war. Ruthless. I mean, they were the kind of people that would leave the, the dead bodies to desecrate not only just to try and win the world war, but to try and humiliate their enemies. They, they were, they were a, a wicked group of people, a wicked nation. And Jonah preached to the Ninevites one message. One message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That was it. Eight words. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And when the people of Nineveh heard the words of Jonah, that the words that he preached meant they were shook to the core, the entire nation of people. Jonah performed no miracles among them. He was, he was a stranger to the people of Nineveh. All they knew is that you know, they, they perhaps heard the story of a man having been swallowed by a fish and spit up on the shore. And if you can imagine, he come dragging up off the beach, you know, seaweed, wet, all messed up, fish, slime. And he goes to this place and he begins to preach these words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And the entire nation, the entire nation repents. They didn't know who he was. He had no history there. He displayed no goodwill towards them. 
In fact, he didn't even want to be there. He tried to run from the calling to preach to those people. Yet when they heard him preach, the entire city made the altar call. Every single one of them, cattle and donkeys, potbelly pigs, you name it, they all came to the altar. There was something in the message. There was a flavor there that people picked up on, having not even experienced it before. There was something about it that it was undeniable for them. They were drawn to the message, drawn to God because of what he said. There was no way around it. It was something new to them, the taste of hope. It was strong enough to urge them to change their ways. It was, it was powerful. Something about that moment that was discernible, real to them. But here is Jesus, who has a history with Israel, a history among his own people, with nothing but goodwill towards them. Goodwill, constantly displaying love and grace and mercy, constantly loving them, doing what he can, going out of his way to perform miracles, teaching them about the Father, going out of his way to display truth to them, grace and love, but nobody, nobody listens to Jesus. Jesus said the men of Nineveh will rise up with this generation and condemn it. They'll rise up at the judgment and they will point a finger at this generation and condemn it. The heathens, the pagans will judge the people of God who lost a sense of the taste of truth. They lost what it means to hear the word of God and respond to it. The flavor of truth. They were unable to discern right from wrong, good from evil. He reminded them also of the story of the Queen of the South. Man, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. She came from a faraway, distant land, somewhere in northern, northern Africa, to, to simply hear the wisdom of Solomon, just to hear him. I just want to hear what he has to say. I'd like to hear this guy, what, what he has to say. So she traveled hundreds of miles. She wasn't invited. She didn't even have a clue whether or not he would let her in. It wasn't a, an official meeting. You know, she, she might have gotten to the gate and they said, well, no, you can't come in. We don't know you. We just don't let foreign dignitaries just enter in. This could be a, a, a ruse, you know, a, an attempt to, to take over the kingdom. She simply came to hear the wisdom of a man, they said, had been graced by God, and she came. And when the queen arrived, she was not disappointed. And I encourage you to read it. Man, amazing story. After hearing Solomon and seeing the kingdom, 1 Kings 10, 6, it says this. This is what she said. These are her words. She says, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. It's true. But then she says, but I didn't believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. 
how happy your men must be, how happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne in Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Wow. Yet somebody greater than Solomon was right there in Israel. Someone greater than Solomon was speaking wisdom. Someone greater than Solomon, able to perform miracles, right there, present in their cities, walking in their streets and in their neighborhoods, and they couldn't even make the effort to seek him out. This woman left her kingdom. She left her, for all she knew, for all she knew her kingdom could have been under siege back at home. They could have been raiding the place. There could have been civil unrest natural disasters who knows what's going on but she was willing to risk everything to hear what the man of God had to say so Jesus says to them that at the judgment the men of Nineveh and the queen of the south will rise up with this generation and condemn it they will condemn it they had an inferior message they had inferior messengers. As great as Jonah was at preaching, those eight words, man. Can you imagine an eight-word sermon? We'd be out of here. We'd already be at in and out right now. Eight words, all right? You're dismissed, you know. But powerful, eight words. But he was an inferior messenger when you compare him to Christ. Who compares to Christ? Solomon in all of his glory, wonderful, wise. But you couldn't hold him up to Jesus. He, was an, he, he would be out of his league. An inferior message. An inferior messenger. But in spite of the message and in spite of the messenger, they were able to taste the truth. As inferior as the message was, there was something about those eight words. There was something in it. There was something they could discern. Hey, this is different. There's something in these words. Man, I've, I've told you a hundred times that, that my testimony, when I, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I'll tell you again, man, it just, it gives me chills to think about it. I was, I was driving, this guy was giving me a ride home. I was there in the back seat, we're all, you know, after work, I was driving home and, and we're just talking. I don't, even, I don't even know what he was talking about. And, and then he said, I just remember the words, unless you are born again, you're going to go to hell. That's what he said. And, I, and bam, those words just like shook me. It was, it was I could feel the words. The, the words hit me. I felt them hit me. And when he said that, and then I, I start scrambling for, for a way to justify myself. And I said, I believe in God. And he said it again. Unless you are born again, you're going to go to hell. Man, and, and I just, I stood silent. He dropped me off. I was bummed out. I was bummed out. I went digging through my stuff. I knew I had a, a Bible that I stole from a hotel somewhere. 
And I found it, one of those Gideon Bibles, and I, start, I just started reading. I didn't know what I was reading. It was like, it was like Debbie trying to tell, do you taste the cumin? I, I didn't know what I was looking for, you know? I just started looking. And, and, I, and I, I remember going to him the next day and say, hey, you know what? I saved myself. He said, saved yourself? Come here. And he prayed for me and led me to the Lord. Man, and what? A, and after he prayed, I remember opening my eyes and everything was different. Everything was different. And I haven't been the same ever since. Amen. There was, amen. There was something. There was something in those words. Something in those words that I, 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 it captured me. It, it changed me. It, it woke me up. That is what the people of Nineveh experienced. That is what this queen from the south experienced. Man, I heard about it, but when I heard him, uh, you know, in, in, in real life, man, not even half was told to me. That's what happens when the gospel is preached to those who taste the truth in God's word, who recognize the spirit. When, when the worship team is worshiping and singing songs and, and we read the words of the songs and we think about the sacrifice of Christ or we think about the call of God upon our lives, we taste something very distinct. We, we, we sense, we, we apprehend the love, the grace that is ex extended to us. This is what they had. Even though it was an inferior message or an inferior messenger, they were able to taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. The difference here is discernment. By his spirit, God enhances or refines the knowledge you already have. He enhances it. You already know the difference between right and wrong. Spiritual discernment enables you to apply that knowledge in new situations, in new places. You're there and you, you begin to discern things. If, if you know what, is, what wrong behavior looks like, all of a sudden you can discern what, what's wrong in a social structure. All of a sudden you can discern what is wrong in family systems, in, in communities and neighborhoods, including the spiritual realm, where it doesn't feel right, it doesn't taste right. You recognize wrong by the oppression it creates. You don't have to know everything. You see the oppression it creates in relationships, among people, in, in, in institutions. Suffering and strongholds become obvious to you. Power structures with no explanation, no earthly explanation. It stands out clear as day. There's something that is not right in that place. God adds to your wisdom. He adds to your discernment, your discretion. And the woman or the man of God who has this discretion can make decisions when it counts, the right decision when it counts. They're not easily fooled by false claims of truth, earthly or spiritual. God guides the individual towards God's intentions for your life. He lights your path and, and speaks to you. True discernment doesn't only mean distinguishing right from wrong, it means distinguishing what is good, from what is better, from what is best, that you can distinguish the best for your life, the best for your family, 
the best decision. It means distinguishing between what is negotiable and what is essential. This is essential. I cannot pass this up. And you begin to drop things off in your life that don't belong there anymore. If the people here in Matthew 12 had discernment, man, they would not have missed this opportunity to hear Jesus. They would not have had to ask for another sign. Another sign? We don't need another sign. Somebody should have slapped that guy. Who said that? Where is he at, you know? God himself stood in their very presence and they failed to recognize him. Does it happen today? Does it happen today? Do we ever ask what's happening in my family right now? What's happening in my marriage right now? What's going on with my kids? What's going on at school or on my job? What's this feeling I feel, all right? Human eyes may see the symptoms, but discernment allows you to see the first causes of the things you experience in life. So how about you this morning? Do you hear him? Do you see him? You know, there's a, some things that Jesus says in, God, in, in the Gospel of John, um, just uh, several places where he just, you know, from chapter 14 and chapter 15 and chapter 16. In, in chapter 14, verse 17, he says, the spirit of truth, that's who he is, the spirit of truth. He says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives in you, the spirit of truth. He lives in you and will be with you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then jump over to chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Testify. Now, you know what a testimony is. And so the spirit will live inside of you. He's living inside of you. And there will be times where he will testify about Jesus. Can you imagine just walking along and then all of a sudden, man, just a testimony on the inside about Jesus. Those moments of overwhelming excitement and joy, of clarity, of what really matters. That's what he's talking about, man. And then you jump over to chapter 16, John 16, verse 13, Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Not only speak and testify, but guide, lead your steps, your direction into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Wow, that's fascinating. The Spirit lives inside of you. He lives inside of you. Do you hear him this morning? Do you see him? Then there's a sad passage in Luke chapter 19 that says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept. And he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when your enemies will build an embankment on every side. I'm sorry, they will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. 
They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Failed to see him when he shows up. When there are others, pagans, with no history of God, with no knowledge of scripture, others with an inferior message and an inferior messenger who taste in the inferiorness of Jonah or Solomon could taste the reality of God. Come on now, we've got to, we've got to see Jesus. In the worship, Bible study, the reading of the word, when you come to church, we should be like the queen of the south. Man, just, you know, just leave it all. You know, what, what's going on? Oh, we got a shopping. Oh, we got to do this. You know, just, just leave it. Let's, we, there's, there's some wisdom. We need to hear from the Lord. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? What does discernment do with it, for us? It helps us to see. Well, we've always been able to see, but it helps us to see things differently. It, help us, it helps us to see the truth. It helps us to distinguish what is good, then what is better. But you know what? We can see what is best. And we can set the good and the better aside to go after what is best. We want the best, right? Best for your family, best for your life, best for your future. Discernment allows you to recognize that. It allows you to see what's right. allows you to see what's wrong in situations. Allow God to develop that in you. We need to grow in discernment. Father God, this morning is my prayer, Lord God, that you would enhance our ability as parents, as Christians, as leaders, as men and women of God to enhance our ability to hear your voice, to recognize when you speak to us, to recognize truth. Father God, we, we have inferior messages with inferior messengers, but in spite of our inferiority in comparison to Christ, we can taste truth. And I pray, Father God, that we would respond to that truth that we would hear your voice in that message, that we would hear your voice, that we would see your face, that we would feel your touch of grace, that gentle touch. You don't grab, you don't snatch a gentle touch of grace, that we would respond to your grace, the tugging in our hearts, that loving call to come to you, to yield to you, to surrender to you, Oh God, if we would only respond, if we would only respond, we would know the fullness of your grace. I pray that we would recognize your presence in the messages that are preached, your presence in our worship at the altar. Father God, in the things that you do in our lives, that we would recognize your presence. This is what we ask for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If the Lord has spoken to you, perhaps you say, you know what? I'm always making decisions, always making decisions, decisions that affect me and my future, decisions that affect my family.
decisions that affect my, my financial future, my spiritual, my emotional, my health. God, give me the discernment to make right choices in my life, right choices with my family, with my time, with my talents, with my finances, with my health, right choices. Help me to glorify you with my life. Glorify you with my talents. Glorify you with all that I have, with all that I do. Father God, I pray, give me discernment. Elevate my ability to discern, to taste what is true, to know it, to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. This is what we need this morning. In Jesus' name.